In discussion, unpack sustainability in the textile industry, following the cotton supply chain through Gujarat and Maharashtra in India, across the world to China. Discussing issues in the field with Indian farmers, local artisans and international fashion houses, from fibre to fabric to fashion. Harmasar Lake in Bouge, Gujarat, is overlooked by Hotel Lakeview. Until five years ago, the lake served as the main water source for the region. Now it sits empty. Gujarat is one of India's driest states. Hot and dusty, the region experiences erratic rainfall and frequent droughts. Our visit in February 2019 coincided with one such familiar period. Prior to the trip, Edinburgh University PhD student Amatang Shivacharya described to us the political nature of water supply and scarcity in India. The highest GDP areas, often urban zones, including large deprived communities, also suffer the highest water and agricultural stress. Ultimately, the poorest groups in society suffer from scarcity as self-serving political and industrial interests govern pipeline infrastructures. Agriculture remains one of the most important industries in India, employing roughly 60% of the population. However, it only accounts for around 15% of the country's GDP and incurs excessive demands on groundwater supplies. Devang from the fashion house Vanita Dongre explains how the decentralised nature of Indian agriculture poses environmental threats. India is one of the largest producers of water in the world and it exports as well. The, the way agriculture in India is decentralised, indiscriminate use of chemical fertilisers, pesticides, water is used indiscriminately and it is not economically viable for the farmer. Indigenous to India, local desi or kala cottons are capable of growing in drought-prone areas without the need for fertilisers and pesticides. Genetically modified BT cotton, on the other hand, produces a higher yield faster, with longer fibres better suited to softer fabrics, like the t-shirts in your wardrobe. And that's the desi, that's a local indigenous variety of cotton. Which takes less of water and, and, and no fertiliser, nothing. It just grows. And this, this area doesn't have a lot of water. It's always drought and and so it's the best product to have like growing something like this. But now some regions have got uh, water canals, government made it, and so they started growing a lot of uh, BT cotton. So for denim, the desi cotton is used because it's very tough. A short staple, mm. yeah. short peppers. It's harder compared to the BT one. Yes. Short and it's hard, it's rougher. So yeah. production Interestingly, Bouge was never subject to direct colonial rule and thus never possessed the complex water supply infrastructures typical of other contemporary imperial projects. Yet Bouge also never suffered from water scarcity prior to 1947. It seems that water scarcity is not just defined by pipeline politics, but more likely connected to other processes of modernization, including more intensive agricultural practices. With ever-rising demand and little governmental support, cotton farmers are forced into water and pesticide overuse. Local Gujarati farmers explain to us how production has shifted from desi cotton to BT cotton over time. Where's your cotton come from? Where the from the surrounding area, 15, uh, 15 kilometers. Mm -hmm. Farmers directly sold us. And uh, is it BT cotton? Or BT, cotton BT cotton. BT cotton. Yeah, Actually, the there is no organic cotton. BT cotton is not possible without pesticides. If is that the same across India? Across the world. 
not possible without pesticide. Mm -hmm. How long has there been BT cotton? Uh, uh, farmers are not sowing desi cotton now. Yep. How long for? Five to seven years. Right. Do you see a future where you might reduce the reliance on BT cotton and go back to previous varieties? No. Uh, we have to stick BT cotton. Yeah, Actually, in India, we are using Bolgard too. You can learn more about different cottons in our episode on cotton production. In the meantime, here's Chirag from the Bombay Hemp Company, or Bahiko, with a final clarification. Yeah. Could it be it's organic cotton if it's made to cotton? Yeah. yeah. I thought organic meant it's There's not no specific. GMO. Non-certified organic cotton and BT cotton. That's the better way to put it. BT cotton gives you organic cotton, but BT cotton is GM. But organically grown, organic cotton comes without any certification. And that's the desi cotton. And that's why we all Water-intensive BT cotton farming is environmentally destructive and leaves the soil barren. Without the ability to reproduce seeds as with desi cotton, local farmers are locked into dependent relationships with international seed companies, like Monsanto. Disappointingly, corporate and political responses to this urgent issue seem weak at best. Given these problems, Indian social enterprises are looking to more sustainable alternatives. Bahiko aims to promote domestic hemp production in India, as hemp is a more environmentally friendly fibre than even desi cotton. National fibre like to like. From seed to cotton and, and hemp being on the shelves, hemp is said to consume 400 times less of water than cotton, which also factors in the growth period of time, so if it's nine months, three months, how much pesticides, what kind of water is used in the whole process. Sustainability isn't just a concern of smaller enterprises. The hugely successful Indian fashion house Vinita Dongre is also transitioning towards lensing. These fabrics take less water to produce and don't pollute the surrounding water supply. In fact, water used in its production is even left drinkable. Lensing is a company from Austria. They are known world over for their sustainable fabrics. Lensing makes fabrics which are of viscose. Viscose as a fabric per se is a natural fabric made out of wood pulp and for every tree that is cut down they replace it by another tree. So there's traceability, it, the fabric is uh, biodegradable, the water used is much less than most other fabrics. So for all our brands we've tied up with them and going forward we will be using I would say at least 80% of their fabrics. However. No single fibre or fabric is more sustainable than another. There's always a trade-off, often depending on the purpose and final destination of the finished product. For instance, even natural fibres like cotton incur environmental problems. In fact, the synthetic material polyester remains the sole fabric capable of being fully recycled. Similarly for fibres, there are different uh, natural fibres, synthetic fibres, man-made fibres, semi-synthetic fibres. We have cotton, hemp is what we learned yesterday. Hemp. Jute. Yeah. Linen, viscose. Viscose is a semi-synthetic, man-made cellulosic fiber. And then there are animal derived. Animal derived will include wool, fur, silk. So it's a portfolio and you need to choose and every fiber will have its impact. There's no fiber that will have zero impact. I mean we know polyester, we know nylon. These are all products of petroleum, the byproducts of petroleum. They don't biodegrade. They'll sit in your landfill for thousands of years and they'll leach into your groundwater, they'll impact the soil. There is mixed messages being sent out to consumers about what is and isn't sustainable. Here we're learning that actually trees may be more sustainable than cotton. 
but I've just been reading a book by a brand, um, a publisher, that is now making their books out of cotton because of the environmental impact of cutting down trees. But now I'm hearing that I should be buying cotton, I should be buying clothes made of trees. Uh, see, there are advantages and disadvantages of uh, both. Lensing makes fabrics which are of viscose. In, in a way, it's a nicer fabric because it uses wood pulp. The water that is used is much less. It is uh, biodegradable. And with cotton, I think one of the main issues is the chemicals that are used are a lot. The water consumption is very, very high. The gas emissions and uh, water pollution there is much higher. So it's a trade-off. If it's a mixture of um, something with stretch, so um, you said spandex and the hemp, doesn't that make the material less sustainable? Because you know, of course it does. But it's it's also then answering questions that people are asking, right? Isn't it much better than still using 100% nylon? Currently, that's the norm. Similarly, Bahiko and the House of Anita Dongre, amongst other sustainable innovators, share a problem. Existing local path dependencies on cotton production often force businesses to look abroad for more sustainable fibres. BT cotton, which is produced here, is not sustainably feasible, but it is local, whereas the, that is still being shipped across the world. So how do you have a trade-off between sourcing sustainable fibres, say from Austria to India, with the carbon footprint of that vis-a-vis -vis buying locally? And definitely the carbon footprint of it getting manufactured sustainably. Uh, is is much more than the carbon footprint of transporting it. That's been my argument, right, with a lot of people who think that, oh, we're not empowering local communities. Hey, you know, they're not at this stage to be empowered today with what I am driving as a solution. Yes, there will come a day when I'm trying to integrate all of this together, but today it's just not possible. I mean, I still have to rely on import because you are not allowing me to, in quick time, do what you are preaching I must. Even deciding which dyes to use creates environmental dilemmas. Natural dyes use more water to treat the fabric, but are non-toxic, enabling water to be reused as fertiliser. Synthetic dyes require less water, time and labour, but leave the water toxic. Indeed, textiles are the second most polluting industry worldwide, after oil, accounting for 20% of global wastewater. The dyeing that everyone is wearing here is azo-free, which means just that the toxic chemicals weren't used, but chemicals were still used in dyeing your clothes. How much of that is really paying off versus natural dyeing, which actually rubs off and fades over time, but it's still something that you can endorse. I mean, it's about the trade-offs you make. Interestingly, all of the artisans we spoke to commented that locals tend to prefer the brighter colours afforded by synthetic dyes, whereas foreigners and tourists prefer the more muted tones of natural dyes. We reflected on these sustainability dilemmas in our own choices. In other episodes, we explored different ways of being a sustainable consumer, including the problematic culture of fast fashion in more economically developed countries. I can't get over how um, ignorant of this whole world I am. Yeah. 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 Like it's only like, because I started, we all yeah. wear clothes. So, so and I don't know anything about it. I didn't know jeans yeah. were made out of cotton. Your food <laughs> <laughs> even like a bit more than your clothes. I'm still ignorant about that to an extent, but like mm. I've never ever like had any education or anything yeah, about that should be anything I've done is literally just research yeah. myself, which is obviously limited. But don't you think it's interesting because we talk about yeah, silk isn't vegan if you think of it that mm. way. But then doesn't that 
raise other dilemmas. Like, for instance, silk is used because of its strength, because it was much stronger than cotton thread, mm -hmm. right? Now, if you're not going to use, so if you need that strength and you're not going to use silk thread, then you end up using synthetic thread. Mm -hmm. Which we know has other issues. So, so the know. point is this, yes. So is it better to kill some... What ethical principles are we going to live by? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah well, and that's how I feel about fur as well. Like, I'm obviously mm. against farmed fur. Mm. But then the synthetic but version but is synthetic not... But synthetic fur is so much more damaging. Better. So yeah. if you can be sure that your fur, like, um, comes from an animal that's been killed to be eaten, and then it's just a byproduct, that's better. But you yeah. can't but be sure. But then you also have to agree with the fact that that animal has been killed to be eaten. Yeah, and then do I agree with the standards of that animal's life? And mm. and mm. If, if you can sort of reduce the amount you need to buy, so that's why a lot of people wear leather shoes because they're so long-lasting. If you just right. have like a couple of pairs of leather shoes, even if you're vegetarian, it seems quite a contradiction to buy leather shoes but refuse to eat meat. But yet, I do agree with wearing leather shoes because they last so, so mm. much longer yeah, than synthetic. Yeah, I agree with We should also be conscious like every decision we make we're going to be hypocritical in some respect yeah. so we yeah. shouldn't put people off making good choices because they're not doing absolutely everything we put too much emphasis on cutting out and not mm -hmm. enough on cutting down yeah. if you tend towards absolutism in that way mm -hmm. then you get the same but in kind so you have people who will say anything i do i still run into contradictions and therefore i might as well just stick to what i'm doing now have you heard of the phrase uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, that's I exactly that like that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> An overarching question remains. Who bears the responsibility for environmental sustainability? Farmers, big or small businesses? Governments, consumers or the media? And where? In India or in importing countries? Different stakeholders throughout the global value chain are connected and implicated by each other's decisions, actions and inactions. For instance, rising consumer demand and government latency has left farmers reliant on less sustainable but high-yielding BT cotton. Just because there's such a demand from like Western countries for cotton, like if if that demand wasn't there, then there wouldn't be such pressure to like mm -hmm. keep increasing it. Because it's like yeah, the government should be putting in subsidies to help with this, but then I guess the government's under pressure from kind of consumers as like a growing economy to keep growing. Mm -hmm. So. One kind of big question that I had after the whole, um, after all the visits was the first two farms were kind of very negative towards BT cotton. So mm. the second one actually said 100% of their cotton comes from BT yeah, cotton. Yeah, it was uh, quite surprising. Yeah, and the first one was 85%, I think. But then uh, the third farm said that they don't use any BT cotton, although the second farm said they have 100% and they supply the third farm. Here's Devang from the house of Anita Dongre again, summarising the common perception that the Indian government typically acts as a facilitator of change and businesses the initiators. What do you think is the role of the government in promoting sustainable fashion and sustainable business practice? Yeah, so I feel the government uh, should play an enabling role rather than you know, being prescriptive. You, like in Bangladesh, the government intervened. We need to increase the minimum wages of the work, garment workers. So that's the role the government played there. And I think brands have an opportunity to take the first step voluntarily and uh, have the first mover advantage because sooner than later you have to make those greener choices. Why not be the first one to do it and acquire the customer uh, attention and loyalty and trust. In Maharashtra, the environment department came up with a notification that beyond so and so microns, single-use plastics is banned. 
for e-commerce in Maharashtra, plastic packaging is banned after so many months. But are there enough state-sponsored recycling facilities? The answer is no. I mean, if you expect brands or companies to set up recycling plants or that require huge investments, it's an industry-level response, and the government has to you know, walk shoulder to shoulder. It's, so it's it's a slow process. The behavior change communication is the thing that the brands need to do. What is your relationship with the state of India, the government of India? Are you almost kind of taking on some of the roles of the state? So there are clear roles. The government is there as an enabler, and for us to actually you know empower them by giving them business. But we need to sell what appeals and excites a globe-trotting woman sitting somewhere in some part of India or even the world. I don't think a government would have that kind of a, it doesn't have that kind of a mandate, nor would it have that outlook. It would leave it to initiatives by enterprises. But even entrepreneurs still face difficulties in breaking existing unsustainable path dependencies, as Shirag from Bahiko explains. It's very important to tie up with industry, government, um, scientists. There's a lot of dependence on policy and government. In India, there is a certain amount of lag as far as uh, proactiveness is concerned on, on, on certain fronts. First time we went into a government office, they said that they don't know uh, what we're talking about. We said it's growing in your backyard. They said what? We said it's not a problem. They said what? They said it's a solution. They said what? We consider the role of trade and business in promoting sustainability more deeply in another episode. Certainly, the grounds of responsibility here are seriously contested. What is clear is that cooperation between stakeholders and mutual understanding of their different roles is essential to tackling the issues around environmental sustainability. Artisans in Kamir have been working with local schools, women's cooperatives and companies in Bouge to collect and upcycle littered plastic. Skilled workers then cut plastic bags into strips and use traditional looms to weave them into sturdier bags and accessories. So what we do, we collect the, those plastic from cities, schools, institute and all and then we wash here and after washing uh, we are making strips like this. Yeah. So this is strip, one kind of threads you can say. So she is making thread. The way one uh, wool or uh, cotton is weaving, same way plastic is going to be weave, uh, weave in one fabric kind of thing. Uh, who collects the plastic? Yeah. Is it school children? School, yes, so they, what they do, they are also bringing uh, uh, plastic from their home to school and then we further collect from school, mm -hmm. so like that. Mm -hmm. And here uh, there is also government supported waste management area where uh, uh, waste management collect a whole garbage from all the cities and then we uh, they are segregating plastic for us and then we collect from them. Yeah. What Hamily says here is really encouraging. Not only does this reduce plastic pollution in Bouge Centre, but it directly replaces the need for new textiles, including cotton. Though small-scale in practice, this initiative highlights how traditional crafts might be adapted to tackle contemporary problems. More than mere environmental friendliness, sustainability demands environmental, economic and cultural attention. An interdisciplinary, intercultural approach is essential to rethinking this industry. In our other episodes, you can learn more about the range of issues related to textile sustainability and the Focus India project. <laughs>